This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com. Welcome to All the Social Ladies with CEO of Likeable Media, Carrie Kerpin. Now, Carrie Kerpin. Hey everyone, what an incredible opportunity I have today because I got to speak to one of the world's most influential management thinkers, Whitney Johnson. She's the author of the critically acclaimed Disrupt Yourself, putting the power of disruptive innovation to work. You're going to hear her story, which is basically going from the working girl sort of scenario into this incredible coach and leader. And she's a voice for all young women. Take a listen. Welcome Whitney to the show. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. I'm so excited to have you on the show today, and I absolutely cannot wait to read your book, Disrupt Yourself, Putting the Power of Disruptive Innovation to Work, and I already have a million questions for you, so I hope you're ready. I'm ready. Awesome. Okay, so let's start uh, with, you know, I was looking through your career history. You have a really interesting arc to your career, so why don't you tell us the story of how you got to be who you are today? All right. Well, um, I graduated from college um, in 1989 and went to New York actually with my husband so he could get his PhD in um, microbiology. And as often happens, I went to New York with him because I was following my husband. Not always, but oftentimes. And once I got to New York, um, I realized that we needed to put food on the table. And as a music major, the absolute obvious choice for me was Wall Street. And so I started on Wall Street, though, because I had never gone into any sort of business course. I had no connections whatsoever. I had very little confidence. I actually started as a secretary working for a retail broker at Smith Barney in Midtown Manhattan. And as I said, it was 1989. So it was a really exciting time to be on Wall Street. It was the era of liars poker and bonfire of the vanities and of course, working girl. And so inspired and excited by all of this, I decided to start taking business courses at night. And in fact, um, I I was inspired to the point that I kept seeing all these guys kind of moving up the ladder and I wasn't and I had been a cheerleader in high school and I kept hearing them say to people trying to get them to open up accounts, throw down your pom-poms and get in the game and I finally realized I needed to throw down my own pom-poms and so that's when I started taking the business courses at night and then I had this boss who believed in me, which allowed me to move up from a secretary to investment banker. And then from there, I did investment banking for about six or seven years, took a step back to move into equity research. Um, Around the same time, I had started having my children who are now 19 and 15, respectively. And then eventually, eventually, yeah, left that to become an entrepreneur, connected with Clayton Christensen at the Harvard Business School, um, co-founded an investment firm with him and did that for about five years. And then for the last couple of years, I've just been really focused on speaking and writing and advising companies and coaching individuals. So that's probably like a 45-second overview, but that's the basic trajectory or arc of the career, my career. That, that's a pretty amazing trajectory. You re- I, The story, the whole beginning of the story really is the working girl story. It's pretty amazing, yes, except that you is. didn't, you know, kind of fake the, fake the career when your boss broke her leg. 
<laughs> but that's, right, that's exactly. basically. And I, I hope my hair wasn't as big as hers. Your big. hair wasn't as big. <laughs> wow. So, okay. So tell me when you started taking the business classes and you had, you come in at, as, at the secretary level and you start taking the business classes, was it very challenging? Was it something, did you, did you at any point think like, am I doing the right thing? Should I, should I do a career change? Or did you know once you got there, you know, I know a lot of people talk about when they start in school, they kind of know if they're in the right path. Did you feel like you knew, or did you feel like it wasn't necessary? You weren't sure. I feel like I knew in the sense that, um, I was just determined to do this. I mean, I think for me, it was just, this was the brass ring that I saw in front of me and I really wanted it. And, um, I didn't think I was the smartest person in the room, but I was pretty confident that if I would work at it, I could do it. And I, I turned out I was really good at accounting and, you know, some of these various classes and I was able to get A's in them, but it was more of like, I'm going to do this. Like just sort of raw grit and determination. So it was the determination. It was that you were focused. You said, I'm going to do this. And then you did. Yes, exactly. And was how heavily male dominated was the field at that time? I mean, I know it's certainly male dominated now. Was it completely? What was it like? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because it was, it was very male dominated. And, and I would say in the nineties, they were, you know, sort of making this push to get more women in the pipeline, but you saw, happening then is you still sort of do is that women were getting to the VP level and then realizing, ah, you know, this isn't working for me. I'm not part of the boys club. I can't get as much done. And sort of in all the sort of micro ways that women get marginalized, you had women start sort of siphoning out of the pipeline. Um, so pretty similar to how it is today, unfortunately. Mm, so it was the same way then. And when you, when you took the decision, you talked about the decision to step back a little bit, and that was basically around the same time that you had your children. Was that decision in correlation with that? Were you like, okay, I want to have oh. kids. I'm going to take the step back. No, actually not. So um, basically when I talk about a step back, I talk about it in the way of where I talk about in Disrupt Yourself, where you sometimes take a step back to 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 Move catapult forward. forward. Yes. And um, step back in the sense that within the uh, pecking order of the financial services world, uh, equity research is considered a step back vis-a-vis yes. banking. Yes. And so for me to take that step back from a sort of status and prestige standpoint, it, it was a step back in that sense. But it turns out that that step back, and so in many ways it was a very disruptive move, was really my career maker because it put me in a position that was much better suited to my skills and my skill sets and even being a female. And so that was what allowed me to really catapult my career. Well, that actually leads us so brilliantly into Disrupt Yourself. Talk to me a little bit about uh, the concept of the book, the concept of disrupting yourself, which is a, such a great title, uh, and how that applies. The, the, the ideas of Disrupt Yourself came initially from when I was an equity analyst and I was covering telecom in Latin America and watching wireless just trounce wireline, continually beating my forecasts. And and then I came across Clayton Christensen's work of The Innovator's Dilemma and realizing that 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 theory was explaining what I saw happening with wireless continually beating wireline. But then the next aha came, moment came when I realized that these, these ideas don't just apply to products and services and companies and, and countries, but they also apply to individuals. And at that point, I was still working at Merrill Lynch, and I realized that if I was going to really 
make my dent in the universe, if you will, I was going to have to disrupt myself and walk away from this really great, powerful, prestigious position and reset onto a new onto a new trajectory. And so that was the beginning of those ideas. And then over the last six or seven years, as I applied those ideas in investing, I've just focused more and more on, okay, what does disruption look like from a personal level? And isn't it actually true that companies don't disrupt, individuals do? And so I wrote this book to help people think about personal disruption and how you can drive innovation at the corporate level, but certainly at the individual level through these seven steps that I've outlined in the book. So talk to me a little bit about the steps. What's, what's a step that might really introduce some of our listeners uh, to ways that they can disrupt themselves? Well, one of the steps, it's the second step, and it's, it's playing to your distinctive strengths. And a distinctive strength being something that you do well that other people within your sphere do not. So, for example, a woman by the name of Janie Juvan, who I talk about in my book, she um, is a lawyer at a law firm in Cleveland, and her distinctive strength was social media because um, she started on Twitter and blogging about 10 years ago. She was a very young associate. At the time, people looked at her and said, you know, what are you doing? Like, this makes no sense. We're conservative. We're a law mm. firm. And social media, what's that anyway? But she persisted. And because she persisted and was very much a fish out of water, social media as a lawyer, this allowed her to gain a lot of traction to start to land clients. And when there were these layoffs in 2008, she was able to sidestep them and then make a very compelling case for becoming a partner because she had social media. So that was a distinctive strength. But the thing that I would say is most important in terms of disrupting yourself is to figure out what your strengths are in the first place. And that's the obvious piece. But the difficult part is, is that we actually ignore our strengths. We tend to overvalue what we aren't and undervalue what we are. And because our strengths come to us and are as natural as breathing, whenever someone compliments us on them, we say, oh, it was nothing, because we don't think it was anything. And yet, and so oftentimes in the workplace, when we're applying for jobs, when we're trying to get something done, the very thing that could really move us forward, that could move, uh, propel our careers forward, we ignore or dismiss. And so for a person to be really successful as a disruptor, we need to identify what those strengths are. And you can start by thinking about the compliments that you get frequently that you dismiss. That's, that compliment is pointing to a strength and begin to consciously and deliberately use those strengths as opposed to just using them when you're in a bind. And that's going to help you disrupt and move up your, your learning curve more quickly. So you think because we're naturally good at our strengths and because it comes so naturally to us, we tend to dismiss them or are disconnected from them? Absolutely. That I do. is really, really a interesting thought. I can, I can think in my own life, you know, and I'm sure for you of the things that people always say that I'm great at. And I, I think I do do that. I think you're exactly right. Right. That's, um, and then that's we, unbelievable. Yeah. If you think about it, you'll notice it now. And it's really, it's, it's it's a little bit scary to think that the very thing that our, our very superpowers are the things that we we dismiss and ignore. And do you think generally people are kind of immune to the self recognition of what your strengths are because it's such a natural thing? Well, I, I think there's a combination of it. I think one part of it is is that we tend to deflect to begin with. You know, I tell you, Carrie, you're really great at something, and you find yourself uncomfortable that I told you that you were good at it. So that's the first thing. But then the second thing is, is that because it is so easy for you, 
um, you think, uh, okay, well, it's not a big deal because can't everybody do that? And the third aspect right. of it is, is that you may have heard the compliment so many times and then there's another piece of you that's saying, but why can't they compliment me on that thing that I worked really hard to do? So I'll give you an example. When I was working on Wall Street, people would say to me, oh, you are so great in organizing and connecting and bringing people together. Like I brought people together for this kind of one-on-one -on -one meeting with Carlos Slim, like one of the world's richest people. We were in his personal library and people were complimenting me on that. And I would get mad because I felt like that they weren't valuing the thing that I'd worked really hard to do, which was to learn how to build a financial model. And that was harder for me to do. So we find that we want people to value the thing that we worked hard to do, but that's not our superpower. The thing that they value is the thing that we do reflexively. And so it's like we have to tip it over and play to those things that we do reflexively. That's a really incredible insight. And so in terms of looking at things like building the financial model and the things that you do work hard to do, you are to still do those things, correct? But that's just not what's going to necessarily disrupt and, and really help you propel right. forward to Absolutely. the level that you can. Right. Absolutely. Oftentimes those things those are what I call pay to play skills. Like the, the building the financial model was my pay to play skill to become an equity analyst. It's what get, it's like table stakes. It gets me right. in the game. But right. that's not the thing that allows me to win. Wow. Really great stuff. And so um, in looking at this book, you must have spoken to many, many different people with incredible sort of disruptors. I know you talked about uh, the lawyer who focused on social media. Are there any other people who you interviewed for the book or talked about in the book who really surprised you? surprised me yeah oh. like you listened to them and you said wow this is like I, for me i find you to be um so refreshing and surprising like i love the entire concept of this and so i find i'm like find myself support sort of surprised and delighted and i'm wondering if you ever talked to anybody who you had that sort of experience with in in the book huh that's a great question well one person that um Yes, I, I can think of one person. So, well, I can think of a lot, but I'll <laughs> go with um, I'll go with a woman who's somewhat in in this space. Her name is Karen Clark, and she's the CEO of a company called Merit CX. And her story is really interesting because she um, she started her career in a very um, sort of she she started her career at Novell, and she was really moving up very very nicely. And uh, she's a on on the marketing side, kind of a CMO area. And doing very nicely. And then she decides, you know what? I'm going to quit this job and go work for a startup that's like at half the salary, a company called Altiris. Everybody thinks she's absolutely bonkers. She starts there, but then she moves her way up. And then that company gets bought out by, oh, I'm going to forget what it is. Oh, oh, <laughs> by a larger company. Sem oh, by Symantec. So here she is, it gets bought out, and she now is in this really big company. She works her way up to become the CMO of Symantec. Wow. And then she leaves again, walks away from like a, a you know, a P&L of like nearly a billion dollars to become the CEO of like a $20 million company um, called uh, Allegiant, Allegiance. And then Last year, Allegiance gets acquired by Merit CX, which is a $200 million company, and now she's the CEO of Merit CX. 
unbelievable. She's amazing. Unbelievable. So how much of that do you think, how important in your world and looking at this is gut? Because I hear that story and I think this woman has incredible gut. Like she she does. She, she just knew when, what to do and when, and just really trusted her gut. How, how much does gut play into your approach to disrupt yourself? You know, it, it, it plays a lot into it. I, I think you have to be very strategic, but I think that oftentimes we our, our gut, I mean, our stomach, everything about our being tells us that it's time to do something new. And, and, in, fa- and in fact, I would say it, it's an informed gut because if you right. think about it from an S-curve perspective of moving up these learning curves that we have, when you're in the sweet spot of a learning curve, all of your neurons are firing and you're, you're generating a lot of dopamine. But when you get the, to the top of a learning curve, you're no longer enjoying the feel-good effects of learning. And so when that happens, boredom starts to kick in. And so what I think is going on is that there's all this sort of information that your body is giving you because it's not enjoying learning anymore. And it's saying to you, you got to do something new because if you don't do something new, you're going to precipitate your own demise. So it's time for you to jump. And I know you're kind of scared, but being being stuck is worse than being scared and unstuck. I love the informed gut concept. And when you're looking at, I have a lot of younger listeners who are just starting out. They probably don't know their strengths yet. They're probably yes. not sure where they want to go. Okay. So they're starting out in their career. What is the best sort of advice that you can give them to help them kind of set the tone for a life of disrupting yourself? Okay. Well, I have three tips um, for women in particular. Um, the first is, is that work isn't school. And, um, and I actually co-authored a piece with Tara Moore on this and mm. that women need to realize that work isn't school and that you need to speak up and understand that you're not going to know the answer all the time. And I'm actually sur- dealing with my daughter right now who's 15 and trying to figure this out. So talk up, know that you're not going to know the answers. And part of success in the workplace is being able to have an informed opinion even when you don't know the answer. Yes. The second I would say is um, get a coach. I think about my career earlier on, and I know this sounds self-serving, but don't have me coach you, but just get a coach because early on, you think that if you will show up and you work hard, you're going to be able to do the job. But I realized that 50% of my being successful was navigating the terrain, which I had no idea how to do. None. Mm. And then the third thing is... um, Whenever you're trying to decide between two opportunities and now you're at the beginning of your learning curve of your career, take the opportunity, all of the things being equal, that will open more doors, not less, on the other side. And so whenever you take a job, be thinking about what you want the next job to be and choose your job accordingly. Amazing. Three fabulous tips from you today. It's awesome. And I love um, the other thing that you did that I'm obsessed with, of course, is that you were the co-founder of 40 Women Over 40 to watch. Because, of course, I love this. As a 39-year-old, I'm completely obsessed with this because I don't think that we celebrate enough women who are over 40. Like, it's like, okay, you're under 40. Great. You're successful. You're a rising star. Now you're 40. Now what? You're what is, what's happening? And so I think that's pretty incredible. Talk to me a little bit about that, where that came from. Yeah. So, um, so Christina Valletta, who, um, I know from the list that was founded by Rachel Sklar, she had this idea for a 40 over 40 list. And this was like three or four years ago. And I was like, Christina, you have to do this. And so she said, okay, I'll do it if you'll do it with me. And I said, okay, I'll do it with you. 
And so the, the rationale was, there are a couple different rationales. For her part, she does a lot of mentoring of women in their 20s. And she felt like there were a lot of women in their 20s and 30s who were saying, I don't know what to look forward to. Like, who are my role models? Because I can't be Sheryl Sandberg. And if I can't be her, then who can I be? Right. And right. so that was her motivation in creating this list. Um, then my motivation was, and it was that I believe that women actually are dis- are great disruptors, but oftentimes we don't really start to gain momentum until our 40s because in our 20s and 30s, either because we're having children or because it takes longer for women to gain traction in the workforce because we not only have to manage up and sideways, but we have to manage down, that women aren't really hitting their stride until they're over their 40s. And I wanted to celebrate that. And then both of us together felt like, um, right at the very time when women are really hitting their stride, we become more invisible to society because we're not as tra- we're not the cute young thing anymore. Yes. And we wanted to say to women, you know what? Keep going. We see you. You're amazing. And so that's the whole reason for the 40 over 40 list. I love it. And I completely agree. As somebody who's right on the arc turning 40, I, I don't think that I hit my own stride until I really was much closer to 40, probably 38, 39 is where I finally kind of got it together to do what I wanted to do and when and and really uh, push that. So I think you're dead on there. It's pretty incredible. And I know that you were named one of Fortune's 55 women to follow on Twitter. So why don't you share your Twitter handle so that people oh. can follow and connect with you? Yes. Okay. My Twitter handle is Johnson Whitney. So at Johnson Whitney. And I also have a newsletter. So you can certainly sign up for that if you just email me or tweet me um, and say, sign me up. Up, I'll make sure you get signed up. I send that out every two weeks and try to make it packed with content so it feels valuable to be there. And um, those are probably the best ways to connect. Incredible. And Disrupt Yourself is out now. Let's go get it. Pretty incredible. So thank you so much for being on the show today, Whitney. You are a wonderful guest and a fabulous social lady. Thank you. So glad to be here, Carrie. You've been listening to All the Social Ladies with Carrie Kerfin, CEO of Likeable Media. You can follow Carrie on Twitter, at Carrie Kerfin. To get current social media insights and great tips, sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likeable.com. This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com.